everyone. Welcome to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're bringing you progressive voices and civil dialogue from across the political divide. We're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. And before I give you a rundown on today's program, let's thank our small business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. You can order groceries online, and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week, with catering and floral services also available. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Later in the program, Merle Domina is going to join us. We're going to be talking about a new climate coalition. That should be interesting. We'll also be talking about uh, laws, generally speaking, anti-protest laws specifically, um, but broadly, laws. Where do they come from? Who gets to write them? Mark Clipsham will join me for that conversation. I also want to talk about Van Morrison uh, <laughs> getting blasted for his new album. Is it deserved? Maybe some of it, but uh, I don't know. A lot of it seems real over the top to me. And finally, the last segment of the program, Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farms is going to join us. We're going to talk about butter. Is it better? Well, I think so. I think Kathy does too. I want to kick off the conversation today, though, by uh, talking about the power of walking to change hearts and minds. Uh, this past weekend, I helped to moderate a panel discussion uh, among three folks who have marched very, very long distances. This was in response to the Race to Save the World, the film produced by Joe Gantz about uh, how different people are using uh, direct action and protest and marching to confront the escalating climate emergency. So part of the conversation um, was, uh, is it, so the three, the three people who joined me, let me start with that, Miriam Kashia, who walked with me and about 35 to 50 others, depending on the day, across the U.S. in 2014 with the Great March for Climate Action. Uh, Miriam was 71 at the time and walked every single step of the way. Uh, a pretty amazing accomplishment. Also on the panel was uh, Pasha Morgan, a friend of mine from Des Moines here who walked from Iowa to Texas to call attention to the challenges facing immigrant families, families from Latin America seeking asylum because of political or economic or other conditions. Uh, and, and just to try to bring people into the understanding that, you know, these aren't evil people. And uh, we ought to be upset at how they're being treated. And finally, uh, Hannah Bacon joined us. Hannah Bacon is uh, currently walking across the U.S. for climate action and raising funds for the Sunrise Movement. So uh, that, um, that uh, panel was recorded. It was a good conversation. I will recommend it to you um, with a link uh, to, uh, to this. Um, to, it'll be on the Fallon Forum website, also on the Climate March website, probably other places as well. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's worth watching. I, I thought the conversation went very well. And, again, what, what is it about walking that, um, that appeals to people that, that sometimes, you know, they, they, they could be turned off by protests. They could be turned off by uh, direct action, people getting arrested. They could be turned off by people cutting off the valves to power to uh, pipelines or or damaging property, uh, and I'm I'm not saying that sometimes uh, extreme tactics involving protest and direct action might be needed. Again, with an emphasis on nonviolence, 
But why is it that, that marching, again, and particularly not so much a march down Main Street with lots of signs and chanting, and again, I, I think that's a great tactic too, uh, at times, in the right circumstances, in the right conditions, but walking almost always seems to have this universal appeal that doesn't rub people the wrong way. People who may be on the fence about an issue, people who may be even uninterested in the issue. And I, I look at Pasha Morgan's walk from Iowa to Texas. Here's an African-American man uh, walking through the heart of red America, where you would think that maybe a black guy walking by himself might, you know, might incur some backlash in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a climate that is very racially charged these days, and has been for, of course, the history of our country. But uh, Pasha found that um, people connected with him. And again, it wasn't just him, a black man out walking alone, a stranger in a community. It was his message, you know. I, you know, I, he was there to talk about why, you know, why, why we need to be concerned about these families being detained at the border who were here seeking asylum from horrible conditions. And overall, he got a very good response from people. You know, and I, I, I remember walking across the country myself in 2014. You know, I'd, you know, I'd come into a small town, and, you know, people would be curious. They'd see a guy, uh, or sometimes there was a group of us, um, with yellow vests on, uh, with a walking stick, with a hat, with a knapsack or a satchel, depending on what we were carrying for the day. And they'd be curious, what are you all doing? Um, and, uh, you know, it opened up a conversation that wouldn't have happened if we had driven into town. If we drove into a town with a car that said Climate Action Now on it, you know, that, that, that probably would have been met with maybe, maybe resistance, maybe just politely ignoring us. <laughs> but when you're walking, it was like, Suddenly, um, people were curious, you know, and I think part of it is folks know what a big commitment is involved in walking a long distance. And for a lot of Americans these days, a mile is a long distance. <laughs> so when you're walking 3,000 miles, it's almost inconceivable to people. And so it, it generates the opportunity for a conversation that wouldn't happen otherwise. And, uh, and, and again, I, I, again, I look at Pasha's situation where, you know, it, it generated immediate, maybe not always, but in most cases, immediate connection. And I think part of it is that walking is, is part of, it, it, it's, a, it's central to the human identity across the world, across cultures, you name it. Uh, everyone, historically, in more simple times, has walked. And sometimes we walk merely to go to a place where we need to get a bucket of water from a well. <clears throat> and I, that's, that's not necessarily a reference to third world countries, because that's what I did when I lived in Ireland. We didn't have running water when I was there as a kid in the 70s and even in the 80s, certainly not in the 60s when I made my first trip there. And uh, yeah, so walking to the well to get water, <laughs> you would meet other people at the well. You would have a chance to talk. Uh, but, you know, walking to stores, to to events, um, you know, to visiting people, uh, or walking to get out of danger. You know, how many times have people walked uh, to escape a volcano, an attacking uh, horde, a, a drought situation? I mean, we have the story in the Bible, of course, of uh, of uh, 
of Joseph's family walking from Israel to Egypt to get away from famine. So, you know, I think, I think that's part of our identity. We identify with the, the, the value of walking either for immediate needs, well water, food, socializing, or for emergency needs. And I think that's part of what connects people to somebody walking a long distance and why it's so why it's so much less offensive than a protest. And again, I'm not dissing protesting. I'm not, I'm not criticizing direct action. That has been, those are tools in the tool chest of social change. And they're needed. I mean, you know, you think about the Civil Rights Act of the mid-1960s and the Voting Rights Act. Those would not have happened. I mean, President Johnson was not exactly a champion of racial justice. You know, he was not deeply concerned about whether black people got to vote in the South. But what he was concerned about was politics and political pressure. And the pressure was there for him to have to do something. And, you know, I, I, I don't think those things would have happened without that kind of pressure. I don't think uh, Richard Nixon would have signed would have authorized the EPA and signed other progressive environmental legislation without pressure brought to bear, uh, not just through the usual political channels of, of, um, of campaigning for the right candidates, of lobbying your elected officials, but also the pressure that comes to bear through direct action, protest, marching, that sort of thing. And again, I think all those tools have a place in the conversation. The challenge for organizers is to pick the right tool at the right time. Uh, you pick the wrong tool at the right at the wrong time, and, and you and you might have your 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 message might backfire. But I will say again that I think walking is almost always something positive. I I, I, I can't think of a situation where someone on a long walk to raise attention or fund or money for a cause has been. Uh, has, has has seen significant pushback. Oh, sure. I mean, when I was walking across the country, there were two occasions where a pickup truck going by us uh, spewed that big cloud of black smoke that they like to spew at sometimes the Priuses, but certainly at people walking who they didn't know, didn't like, didn't trust. That happens. Uh, so I get that. But overall, uh, it's a it's a really powerful way to make a connection. And so I, I um. I commend Joe Gantz and the folks uh, involved in the Race to Save the World for taking the time and effort to look at the coast-to-coast march in 2014, the Great March for Climate Action, as a, as a valuable way to promote getting involved, getting concerned about climate change. And, you know, you never know how much impact you have. It could be very little. It could be a lot. You never know. You never know how many lives you change. You just know that you have to do something. That's a point that Miriam makes in the, in, the, in the film and also on the panel. You've got to take action. And in the end, you, know, you may impact people. You may change their lives. You may get the message out. You will. The question is how much. You don't know. You just do it. But as Miriam also points out, the biggest impact you have from one of these, so it's a long walk, <laughs> is the impact on yourself. You change yourself more than you change anyone else. And I think that's been the case for everyone, everybody I've talked with nearly who's been on a long march. Okay, hey, thanks again for uh, tuning in today, folks. Again, this is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum. When we come back, we're going to be talking about a new climate coalition with Merle Domina. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. 
Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham has been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yup, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. Welcome back to the forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host. We're bringing you progressive uh, talk radio from the heart of America's heartland. Thanks to the businesses and nonprofits that helped make this program possible, including Bold Iowa, building rural urban coalitions to address climate change since 2015. Check out boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. You can get information about classes and workshops at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. Hey, I'd like to welcome Merle Greer Domina to the program. She's from DeKalb, Illinois. She's with Earth, Bill, and Network. We're talking about a new national coalition organized last year to address the growing climate crisis. Merle, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hi. So, um, okay, the coalition is called Earth, Bill, and Network. Who's part of the coalition? Okay, well, we were formed by an organization, Climate Crisis Policy Organization, and there's a lot of members. Um, the National Defense Fund, um, the National Resources, yes, National Resources Defense Fund, and the National Wildlife Foundation. Um, a lot of smaller groups. Um, a lot of 350 um, groups. There's a larger organization, 350.org, and I think they're also, they've okay. been working with us some. Um, we have um, some League of Women Voters groups, some Sierra Club groups, um, a lot, okay, some so very small, lo very local groups. Okay. It, so yeah. it's a it's a lot of local local organizations, um, not just the big national ones. That's good. Yeah. Yes. And so, what was the? Um, I mean, we have a lot of uh, there's a lot of organizations out there, and other coalitions that have been built, uh, joint letters that are signed sometimes by various organizations. What was the specific impetus behind forming this coalition? Um, Todd Fernandez um, of the Climate Crisis Policy Organization um, had been previously involved with a coalition working for gay and um, the whole uh, BGTL network, um, and they, they felt like it was the coalition that finally was able to get national movement, and 
some of the rule laws that they needed. Okay. And he thought, well, somebody has to do this for the climate organization because or the climate movement because it is so severe. And so he um, called a meeting. Um, I guess he had some connections with 350.org and other groups, and he asked them to, to spread it, to share it with their members, which they did. And um, I think he said there were um, 300 people who signed up for the first, um, he had a meeting. It was online by Zoom, and um, we had 300 people on it, and many of our uh, meetings since have had quite a few people. I think the average is 60 at a meeting, but mm. meetings are not required, right. and therefore um, people don't go to every single one, and some people sign up for one series or another series. So there's a lot of, of folks meetings. a lot of folks working on, on legislation, uh, getting Congress to do uh, more for climate action, and also getting state legislatures to take action as well. Uh, you know, I mean, Citizens Climate Lobby is an example of a group that has been, had been a, a pit bull for years on a specific proposal, the the uh, the, client, the uh, carbon fee and dividend, and uh, you know, it's it's been a hard it's it's been a hard row for them to uh, to manage. I mean, I know they were working on that back in 2014 when I first came into contact with them, and they're still working on that. Uh, we've seen a big push for the Green New Deal right now. So, what specific um, policies, either those that are already on the table or others, what specific policies is the coalition pushing for? Okay. We um, had 10 bills in Congress last year, 2020, and then we um, had a committee working on e reading and working on each of the um, bills to make sure that they were as powerful as um we felt they were needed, and people from different groups and a lot of people who weren't part of any group um, joined in and served on one committee or another. The um, policy sector teams, as we called them, there were a number of them, buildings, earth rights, right. systems, electricity, environmental justice, just transition, um, I think there were three farm, food, agricultural, um, agriculture bills. And so, and so um, the, these all these all involve bills introduced in the U.S. Congress. Right. We're and, we're still working on introducing them because we we were looking for to have more than just one or two sponsors this sure. time. So, and, and are you finding that there uh, is bipartisan interest, or is this pre pretty much uh, the lone sponsors are in the Democratic? side of things. No, actually there is um, bipartisan interest. That's good to hear. Yes. So what about the, at the state level? For example, the Illinois legislature, have you done anything to try to encourage the Illinois legislature to take uh, climate action at the state level? Um, actually, my 350 group, we're called 350 Kishwaukee, named after the watershed we're in. Um, we have been active with the um, Illinois push for the clean energy Jobs Act, and um, so yeah, we've con yeah. continued our state 
so um, clean, organization. Clean we, it. I haven't necessarily used the um, Earth Bill and Network. I've, I've sent my um, email list um, information from them. Right. So what is I it? Think what, three times now. What, yeah. what, what does that bill do specifically, and how is it being received? I mean, I'm curious because I think a lot of um, there's a lot more expectation. I think that states need state legislatures and local governments and counties and cities, for example, need to be involved in crafting viable solutions to the climate emergency. So I'm encouraged that there's a bill proposed in the Illinois state legislature. How's it going specifically? Is it moving forward at all? It's moving, but slowly, because um, the original bill had suggested we shut down nuclear, and a lot of our legislators do not like that idea at all. How many nuclear plants do you have in Illinois? I think it's in the 20s. Wow. I think we have... We have zero here in Iowa. <laughs> so, Good for you. Well, 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 yeah, no, well, I think Illinois has the most of all the states. Okay. I'm not 100 percent sure of that, but I'm pretty sure yeah. that's what I've heard. Who, do you know who owns them? That always that, that always counts for something. Yeah. No, I don't. All know right, who that's owns interesting. Them. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's um. So your focus will be at the U.S. Con- at the Congress, the, the federal level, but. Um, but it sounds like when you have a lot of state-based or local-based groups involved, then you're going to be, you know, hearing about and maybe pushing stuff at the state level as well. Yes, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So um, I am curious about one thing that's of great interest to me and a lot of our listeners, too, is the Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, that goes through North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, and then into your state, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know Illinois was the last state to authorize doubling the flow of oil, which was really upsetting to a lot of people. It hasn't happened yet, but they're working on increasing the capacity to be able to double the flow. And so, um, yeah, what is there any legislative efforts to address that, uh, that problem? Um, parts of it. I don't think we have had anything that said, okay, this whole pipeline has got to go, but, We have done different parts of it, like as an organization, Save Our Illinois Land, that is local, and they're working to, in all the ways they can. One way with the legislation was to say that this foreign company has been coming in and saying, we're just going to grab your land if you won't sell it to us. Yeah. And... um. People have said, you know, this totally isn't fair, and so they put in a request to the legislature um, to to change that, so they can't just. uh, It's not like a utility within our country that serves the um, people of the area. The most of the um, the. It's tar sands in this one, but also some of them it's bitumen. I'm not sure what the difference is, but um, so it's all bad. <laughs> they, they get um, processed and then um, shipped to Asia. I mean, so very, very little of it comes to the to yeah. Illinois and stays yeah. here and yeah. is used here. Yeah, that's been one of the complaints about the Dakota Access Pipeline all along, and some of the other pipelines as well. Hey, so I'm um, uh, Merle. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Um, we've been talking with um, Merle Greer, Domina folks. She's uh, from DeKalb, Illinois, and she's involved with a new coalition to put pressure on policymakers to adopt 
aggressive uh, climate plans as we see the impacts of the climate emergency getting worse. Uh, Merle, uh, if folks want to get in touch with you or the coalition, where do they go? Oh, well, they can go to Earth Bill and Network. Earth, Earth Bill and Network, okay. Yes. Very good. It's all, so climatecrisispolicy.org um, okay. is the parent organization, and also, so all the literature is there, right. there also. Okay. If someone wanted to contact me personally, that would be okay. I don't know if you want me to give off my well, that's email address. Well, that, that, that's okay. We can just send them to the network there. Well, i got to okay. run to a break. Uh, thank you uh, so much for joining us, uh, folks. When we come back, uh, we're going to be talking about how these laws come into being. Anyhow, I'll share a bit about my own personal experience as a state lawmaker for 14 years. And Mark Clifton is going to join us with a big-picture look at where these laws come from. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas-Finley. You can also enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates, too. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Folks, back at it here. This is Ed Fallon, your host of the Fallon Forum, coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, thanks again to our local business partners, including Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. She's my veterinarian. Well, not for me personally. For our cat, maybe our chicken sometimes. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or call Dr. Holding at 515 515- 232-8766. That's 232-8766. So, you know, as a lawmaker, I can tell you where the momentum to pass a new law usually comes from, and it's not just one source. Sometimes there's a genuine problem and, uh, you know, a real concern by lawmakers to address that problem. The skateboarding bill, which I will talk more about with you at some point. Uh, sometimes it's public pressure and, you know, the legislature might respond in a sincere and helpful way, not always. Um, or it could be like the uh, legislature's response to the hog confinement problem back in 2002, pretending to solve a problem by making it worse. Sometimes it's federal pressure. The feds say, hey, if you don't do this, we won't give you any money. That's what happened with the uh, drunk driving law back in the mid-90s that I was a co-sponsor of, a sponsor of. Uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes there's actually a lawmaker who has a pet interest. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not. For example, there was a lawmaker, a senator, who really liked to kill morning doves, so he found a way to make it a priority to pass a law that allowed us to kill morning doves. Yes. Uh, more often than not, it's money going through the campaign process or through well-dressed lobbyists' pockets that determines what le- legislation gets introduced and passed. 
You know, one example of that is a corporation years ago that said, we're going to leave Iowa unless you give us a bunch of money. Well, within a week, the legislature gave them a bunch of money. Now, that's, um, that's just a piece of the answer. That's just a kind of a portion of my perspective from being under the dome up at the Stales for 14 years. Joining me from more perspective is Mark Klipsham. He's the host of Music Rare and Well Done every Tuesday at 10 p.m. on KHOI 89.1 FM Ames. Mark, welcome to the program. How do you do, Ed? So, laws. Uh, my, <laughs> my perspective from a very basic standpoint is they're made for two reasons. One is to change things. One is to keep things the same. Okay, uh, fair enough. Over the last week, I've seen some very interesting things. For example, the there was an op-ed on uh, in yesterday's paper about how we have to follow the laws regardless. You know, it was like so that reporter who was at the Black Lives Matter protest, the policeman told him to leave. She needs to leave. And I go, like, well, yeah, that sounds really great on the one hand, but if laws are made to keep things the way they are and things aren't going well and maybe there's a history of abuse or questionable activities, isn't that the exact time you need a reporter there? Uh, yeah, you, you, of, you would think so, and the, and the courts felt so as well, right? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. it's like... Good for them. So, I mean, if you're in apartheid South Africa, who's making the laws? They're the people who want things to stay like that. And then there's the people that definitely don't like that, but they're not making laws for them. They're making laws against those people. They're repressive, not, yeah. uh, for, I don't like the term in this case, but progressive laws. They're, they're reactionary, not, uh, they're not moving us forward. They're trying to keep us to where we are. Or if you're Vladimir Putin and you want to remain in office for the rest of your life, you merely change the law to make sure that happens and then kind of rig an election just to back it up. Or kill some people. <laughs> well, and, and for good measure, poison and kill and then jail a few people. Well, one guy in particular, but yeah. Yeah, with the, then when they do get well, yeah, that, that, that's, you're kind of watching this from the outside. So it's like, well, you know, if they only had followed the laws and gone through the right channels, you're like, oh, you mean like the Native Americans who fought against being slaughtered and then they went to Washington and, wow, how'd that turn out? Oh, they're living on uh, deserts in mobile homes without running water and have no rights or political power. Yeah, okay, neat. Yeah. Who made that law? Yeah, okay, so um, to compare, again, some of the things happening in other countries, I gave Russia as an example, we could give China as an example, which is really, I mean, if you're, basically if you're for democracy in China, then you're, you're, you're in trouble already. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's not going to go well for you. Uh, well, how about Syria for that matter? I sure. Mean, let's, let's go to the extreme here. It's like, if you're against the government, that's kind of like the law is you have to be for the government. You're like, so anybody who's not for the government is a threat and needs to be uh, policed, shall we say. Right. Oh, so. oh, the, the one that really got me recently was, and they, they visited that again, was uh, no pictures, no trespassing, no et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on animal, ag, crops, anything. And you go like, well, wait a minute. Is this about transparency? Is oh. this about truth? And it seems to oh, be this about the, yeah, this is, and, and opaqueness. Yeah, the ag-gag bill, which is really a, a way to protect uh, industrial agriculture from public scrutiny. Uh, yeah, that bill. But um, so, you know, there are some... You know, folks can look at China or, 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 or Syria or Russia and see some really horrible authoritarian stuff going on. 
you know, sometimes under the guise of democratic process, under the guise of legislation in the public interest. But surely, Mark, you're not suggesting that that things are that bad here, are you? Don't call me Shirley when we're on the radio, Ed. Please, come on. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) uh, So what started all this thought process in me was the law that if someone is threatening you and you're in your car and they're in the street and somehow you feel threatened, you can hit them and have a certain amount of immunity And I said, well, these people aren't in the street and angry because they want to be there. They're there because someone has, in essence, been, say, flicking them in the ear for years and years and years. And finally, it comes to a head and going through proper channels just doesn't get you there. They're they're there to call out racial injustice and get something done about it. Uh, and the, the basically what you're describing is one element of the many anti-protest laws that have been passing in state legislatures across the country. Yeah, I, I don't see how they're legal, a lot, right along with the ag-gag law. Uh, the term reporter, I, you know, okay, so what if, what if Minneapolis had passed a law that said uh, video and recording of any type on a arrest, crime scene, police action, whatever is outlawed? Okay, where would we be right now? Yeah, well, um, yeah, Derek Chauvin would still be on the uh, police force in Minneapolis. Isn't that what an ag gag law is? <laughs> Here's this thing going on. Maybe yeah. people are abusing animals or, you know, all the topsoils being flushed into the river or whatever. No, you can't document that. Isn't, quote, unquote, any person who's there reporting this, documenting, I mean, obviously, they didn't fake it. Aren't they a reporter? Isn't that kind of freedom of press? Why? I don't know why you would have to be. And, and again, to the court's credit, the court did agree with the uh, with the uh, the plaintiff in that case. Um, and of course, the uh, since he was a Des Moines Register reporter, the Des Moines Register gave a lot of press time to that, <laughs> understandably. Right. Uh, but I mean, you know, I guess my point earlier, there's a lot of things that go into a lawmaker's decision to introduce a bill or not to introduce a bill. And right now we have a big debate here in Iowa, and this debate might be happening around the country as well. The Heritage Foundation essentially took credit for uh, the concept behind the voter suppression law here. And now Republican lawmakers who passed it are saying, no, 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 that was our idea. Well, I'm inclined to believe the Heritage Foundation on this one. That Yeah, they did indeed Craft, you know, craft the basic concepts and push them, not here only, but at other state legislatures as well. And I think, that's, I think a lot of people don't realize that, that a lot of this stuff comes from special interests who have um, a really deep-seated need to control. Mm-hmm. Well, the, 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 like I said at the very beginning, there's two reasons laws are made, to change things and to keep things the way they are. So yeah. these laws, by the way, there, there are no winners in a game of losers, but whatever. So the, the things about, like, hitting people with a car, those laws are made by these lawmakers. They do not affect those lawmakers. They affect those other people that we don't want to hear what they have to say, really. So we are going to, in essence, repress them. We are going to make a law on them that doesn't affect us. That seems really yeah. sort of antithetical to what government is all. Government, the role of government is supposed to be protect the rights of the individual. To what extent is government now about protecting the rights of corporations and special interests? Yeah. Well, we're not in a democracy anymore or a capitalistic society. We're in a corporate society. It's corporatism, not capitalism. And that's 
what the gods of the government are, the legislators, the lobbies, the lawyers. Uh, the new priest cast, I think I've said this before, you have to get through to get anything done. The only other way to do that is to get really enough attention, like protesting, and maybe it might turn, quote-unquote, a little ugly, but nobody's going to pay attention to you sitting on the side of the street with a little sign, you know, like, hey, be nice to me. Well, That's but if you're there with a hundred of your buddies or maybe a thousand or a hundred thousand people with signs, then they really can't avoid you, right? Well, if, if you're on the sidewalks, actually, they, of course they absolutely can't. No, no, <laughs> right. I drive right by, whatever. Yeah. Right. Uh, at, at some point, like I said, someone's been flicking you in the air and it's, it's a little assault, you know, it's this little thing. And it, and somebody goes, you know what? That's enough. Well, yeah, at some point, flick in the ear, they decide to go a little more. They go, they're going to slap your face. And you go, okay, or you slapped my buddy's face. And nothing happens to that guy. And you go, like, yeah. okay, that's enough. This is not working. This has been going on for a long, long time. And going through the proper channels has not yeah. resulted in any meaningful change. So time, but sorry to get keep, attention. Keep pushing, though, right? Uh, at some yeah. point, negative. It's like... What do they say? Any press is good press. <laughs> Not uh, always, but often, yes. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean. It's, yeah. it, it brings attention to your cause where other methods don't. Mark, i got to run to a break. Thank you so much for joining us, folks. We've been talking with Mark Clipsham. Fair enough. Uh, my pleasure is always that. Check out Mark's uh, program, folks. It's music rare and well done every Tuesday at 10 p.m. on KHOI 89.1. Back in a minute. When we come back, talking about music. I'm going to talk about Van Morrison in Big Trouble. Good or bad? We'll talk about that in a moment on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. No surprise, folks, I'm a big music fan. Probably no surprise, I also like Van Morrison. We're going to talk about Van Morrison in a minute here. I want to take a second, though, to thank our local business partners, those who help make this program possible, including Architecture by Synthesis, where you can get planning, design, and design-build services to build high-performance and low-maintenance homes and buildings. Architecture by Synthesis specializes in environmentally friendly designs, including highly insulated structures made from green bins. That's Architecture by Synthesis. All right, so everybody loves Van Morrison's Brown-Eyed Girl, Into the Mystic, Moondance. Well, 
Maybe, but not everybody loves Van Morrison anymore. Uh, <laughs> he started getting into trouble uh, last year, uh, and he recently uh, got blasted this month by the mainstream media for his new album, Latest Record Project, Volume 1. Again, just came out this month. Uh, yeah, and Morrison got hit pretty hard last year for some criticism of Britain's, uh, Britain's approach to addressing the coronavirus crisis. Um, you know, and I, I, I did read his lyrics from that song and uh, some of the criticism, and I thought, okay, yeah, I don't, I don't know where he was coming from on that. But um, I'm not going to suggest that one guy's song is going to tank an entire country's effort to address a pandemic. But I, so I, I don't, I don't have a strong opinion about that. I think maybe there's some legitimate critique there. But, but now um, he's getting quite a bit of a pushback. Um, to many of the songs on this new album, including one called They Own the Media. And I'm, for first, I just read the title, like, oh, okay, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know they own the media. Um, to me, they means a few really big corporations. <laughs> uh, and so I listened to the tune, I, I read the lyrics, and I don't get the criticism. The criticism is that that this song is anti-Semitic. Maybe, maybe he is... Maybe they believe or want to believe that Van Morrison is implying that Jewish people own the media, but I don't read it that way. I mean, here's part of what he says. They tell us that ignorance is bliss. I guess by those that control the media, it is. They own the media. They control the stories we are told. If you ever go against them, you will be ignored. Okay? That's, uh, I mean, that is certainly true of right-wing radio. It's certainly true of uh, One American News Network, of Newsmax, of Fox. I think it's also pretty much true of the mainstream media. Again, there's a little bit more a willingness to entertain diversity and to stick with more fact-based reporting. Not always, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, that's there. But yeah, there's a smaller and smaller group of people who control more and more media. I mean, look at the here in my, my metro area, the Des Moines metro. The Des Moines Register used to be a statewide newspaper. It got bought by a big corporation, Gannett, and gradually shrunk in size. And now it's, I, I mean, I'm not going to be surprised if the Des Moines Register goes out of business altogether. Uh, but, you know, this consolidation has happened. So I, to me, what Van Morrison is talking about is the, uh, the handful of big corporations that control the media. I really don't know how you can, and again, I've only read you part of the song, but there's not much more to it than that. And it's not much different than that. And I've, there's no reference anywhere in there to Jews owning the media. There's no slam against Israel. Um, and don't get me wrong, there's plenty to criticize about Israel. What's going on in Palestine right now is horrific. It, it, it's deeply disturbing. That's another conversation one we'll probably have next week. But, you know, there's nothing anti-Semitic in that song. So he gets slammed uh, for other songs as well. Uh, some of the songs titled uh, The Long Con, The Big Lie, why Are You on Facebook? Perhaps my favorite. Uh, stop uh, being, B-I-T-C-H-ing. Can't say that on FCC regulated station, can I? Uh, stop blanking and do something. Okay, good advice. Um, he also gets criticized for a song called Western Man, which um, I, I don't really know where he's coming on this. Does he mean, does he mean folks from the wild west of the U.S.? I mean, I, I'm really not sure. Is he talking about European... You know, Britain, Europe, I don't know what he's talking about. 
But um, I could see how I suppose you could think he was um, playing into the type of, uh, you know, um, reaction to government that we've seen in this country. But again, it's, it's nebulous enough where you have a real hard time making that case. But um, <laughs> uh, Alexis Petritus with The Guardian uh, claims that Van Buren's song, Van Buren, Van Morrison's song, Western Man, has some, quote, troubling alt-right stuff about how the West's rewards have been stolen by foreigners unknown and we should be prepared to fight. Okay, I read the song's lyrics and I think maybe, but I think that's a stretch. Uh, possibly, I get it. But, but it just seems like what happened here is Van Morrison decided to take on all the sacred cows of the corporate aristocracy, uh, particularly the media, and they're, they're fighting back. And again, particularly in the media, because I think he stopped, he, he pushes them harder than anyone. So in the song, um, Stop, and I'm going to use the word complaining for the B word that I can't say because the FCC controls these stations. Uh, Stop complaining, do something. In that song, he says, and I quote, I hear what you're saying. No need to run it by me. One more time. I realize you have a lot on your mind most of the time. Got to put up or shut up. When nothing's moving, you just have to push harder. Keep on pushing. What you are, what are you waiting for? Something you need to get in the way of, the system is blocking you, telling you you're obsolete, not essential. I, I, I have no complaints with those lyrics. <laughs> I, think, I think he's calling it as it is. Uh, there, is a, there is a system in place right now. and you, There's so, so many ways of measuring, measuring what's going on. Whether you want to measure climate change, the, and you get all the different metrics about climate change, the, 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 uh, the, the warming of the world, the melting of the Arctic ice, the, the huge glacier in the Antarctic that's going to break off someday soon, uh, of the, the record fire seasons, the, the record droughts, the record flooding. It's, just, it's all measurable. And as is, you know, racial injustice. We can measure racial injustice. You, you, know, you, can't, you, you, you can try to deny that that exists, but... There are metrics that show very clearly that we have a race problem in this country, just as we have an income inequality problem in this country. You know, and that's, it, it's impossible not to, not to measure those things. And, and, and I guess if you want to fudge numbers, if, you want to, if you've already got your conclusion drawn and want to come up with some other explanation, yeah. And that's all part of this system that, in this case, Van Morrison is raging against or if you don't want to call it a rage, at least a criticism. <laughs> uh, and, and he says, something you need to get in the way of is blocking you. That's the system. Telling you you're obsolete, non-essential. And you got to do something or shut up. Put up or shut up. I think it's a good, I think it's a good message. Again, uh, he's being criticized for being, you know, off the rails, uh, you know, QAnon type conspiracy stuff. And, you know, I do, again, I'm not, I'm not down with this criticism of, uh, of the uh, COVID response, although I think things could have been done differently or better, but you know, it's a new animal. So, you know, and uh, again, his song against about Facebook, why are you on Facebook? And first to admit, I am on Facebook. I find it valuable for two reasons. One, it's a good way to connect with people you don't see all the time. Um, good way to, you know, connect with family and friends that you, you just can't run into every day in person. And also, it's been helpful at promoting certain good causes. Although I will say this: that Facebook is a lot less friendly 
to, quote, good causes than it used to be. I can post a pretty picture of my cat, and that gets lots of, lots of traction. But I post a picture about um, the risk that cats face in the new climate era, and that doesn't go quite as well. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, Van, Mor- Van Morrison, taking on Facebook, uh, he says in, in the lyrics from the song say, quote, Why are you on Facebook? Why do you need secondhand friends? Why do you really care who's trending? Or is there something you're defending? Get a life. Is it that empty and sad? Or are you after something you can't have? You kiss the girls and run away. Now you won't come out to play. Okay, so I love that last line. (laughs) You know, and I got to admit, too, even though I like Van Morrison, the music isn't doing it for me. Um, The lyrics are, I like the fact that they're edgy, that they're challenging people to think, but they're not, they're not really that deep or profound. I do like that last line, though. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and again, I, I think his point about Facebook is, is good, especially if you look at it in a broader context. Um, we have created a society where there's a lot of isolation. You know, it used to be standard practice here in Des Moines and actually everywhere in Iowa that when you pass somebody on the street, you'd say hello. Didn't matter if you know if you knew him or not. You still said hello. It was the polite thing to do. And I notice more and more, and it's not just young people, but it's more young than older people. Will walk, just will, will walk by you, even on the street where there's not a lot of traffic. They'll walk by you as if you don't even exist. Oftentimes they'll have you know, headphones on or earplugs or something. And I think um, I think it's a it, it, this this to me is part of what's according to what Van Van Morrison said, quote, empty and sad. Uh, You know, people have become used to living life virtually, not just because of COVID, but in large part because of our online existence, because of the amount of screen time we put in. People can interact uh, adequately on Facebook, for example. But when it comes to person to person, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to say hello anymore. They don't know about the courtesy of just looking at somebody that you're passing and acknowledging them. So yeah, I think that that, critis- that, that song, Why Are You On Facebook? Overall, <laughs> it's a good criticism of the extent to which our society has become uh, very much out of touch with the real ways in which people have historically connected and I think need to connect if we're going to move beyond the growing isolation that is, I think, created a lot of uh, a lot of ancillary problems. All right, so hey, when we come back from a short break here, Kathy Burns is going to join us. We're going to talk about butter because why? Because butter is better. Back with you in a minute on the Fallon Forum. A bright girl. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Across the Des Moines Metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music, 
and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Welcome back to the Fallon Farm. This is Ed Fallon, your host. We are in farm country. Well, everywhere should be farm country. We're going to talk about uh, an element of farming here today, as we always do in the fifth segment of this program. First of all, I want to thank our local local grocery store here in the Des Moines metro. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe, uh, locally owned uh, groceries and specialty food store. You can also order groceries now online, and the Gateway team will come and bring them to you curbside. Their cafe is open for dining, carryout, and delivery service seven days a week. And you can also, of course, use their floral service and their catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. All right, and I'd like to welcome Kathy Burns to the program. We're, th- we're talking about butter. And full confession, a couple of years back, we realized, after doing some extensive research, that we have each consumed the equivalent of an Iowa State butter cow in our entire life. That's a lot of butter. But again, spread out over the course of spread out. many decades, many decades. Yes, <laughs> but butter gets a bad rap. Is why is is butter the bad guy that it has been made out to be by certain interests, and certainly was really made out to be so years ago. But butter consumption fascinates me. I didn't realize we <laughs> ate so much. We don't even have a cow. But uh, I did find some information from Wikipedia about butter consumption uh, compared to. Margarine, and we're going to do some comparison. <laughs> comparison, comparison, <laughs> new com- word. Some comparing. Um, it says that in, in Wikipedia, it says that in the U.S., in 1930, the average person ate over 18 pounds of butter a year, and just over two pounds of margarine per year. By the end of the 20th, 20th century, an average American ate about five pounds of butter. And eight pounds of margarine. <laughs> so there's a big, a big switch going on there. An overall, and just overall decline in the percentage of butter and margarine consumed. I notice. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you explain that? I hope because people are eating more cheese. Oh. <laughs> I, are, I don't know. Well, by the way, we are not pawns of the dairy industry. We we just <laughs> we just happen to like our dairy products. We think they go yeah. very well with the half of the food that we grow ourselves, mostly vegetables and some chicken eggs and some honey. Well, I got interested in what is margarine? Why is that a thing? And yeah. I, I did find out that uh, margarine was invented. Uh, if you think about a food being invented, I think about a recipe being invented. Well, it's but not, not a, a re- it's not really invented. a food, so you can call it an invention, right? It's like Velveeta cheese is not really a, a food. It's called a cheese food product. Yeah, which means it's not really food. Well, I didn't but, know that margarine went all the way back to. 1869 France, because Napoleon... Wait, wait, the French invented margarine? Isn't that sad? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, it was Napoleon. That should be a national, there should be a national apology issued on behalf of France. <laughs> Napoleon wanted to create a butter substitute for armed forces in the field and also for the poor. And I'm not sure why <laughs> the poor needed a substitute. I didn't look into too too much of the history. Because but, those are the ones in his army, probably. But by the late 1800s, yeah. uh, 37 companies were, and this word grates 
manufacturing margarine in opposition to the butter industry, which protested and lobbied for government in intervention. This is the French government or the U.S. government? The, this is, uh, I guess this would be... The U.S. government. I think in the U.S. But okay. 37 companies, butter, butter, or margarine manufacturing eventually came to the U.S. I mean, so many, so many good things came out of France. Why margarine? You just ruined my day, but keep going. <laughs> well, it was originally made out of beef tallow. You just ruined my day even more. <laughs> and a combination <laughs> of beef tallow and, and something else. What, what else? <laughs> I'm afraid to ask. I what else? I think it was a milk product, actually. Hmm. So it, What kind I, of animal milk? <laughs> Never mind. Keep going. Keep going. Never mind. Well, um, it, it went so far as in the late 1800s, the manufacturers, it, because the butter industry was protesting margarine, trying to pass itself off as a kind of a butter. As it should. And they were yeah. cu they were putting dyes in, because margarine in its regular form is white, and they were dyeing it yellow. And that's when the butter industry just said, no. <laughs> and they became, they got a, a bill passed to restrict the dying of margarine. But, but who is who is the margarine industry other than Napoleon Bonaparte? Who who is yeah, who don't. is benefiting from? I don't even it, it, know. Yeah, which, which corporations? Uh, but you know, I mean, dairy farmers fought back. Uh, you know, and they're still fighting back against. Uh, uh, Either, either mislay, misappropriation of labels, but also of, of uh, creation of products that are substitutes. Well, for and to me, it's the difference products. between eating food and eating a manufactured product. Um, right. The way that margarine is made, it's emulsifying a blend of oils and fats from vegetable and animal sources, and then they're modified using fractionation, interesterification, oh, so and hydrogenation. <laughs> so my, then, my margarine is basically fracked. It's, it's fracked fat. And then skim like milk might oil. be added and fermented, <laughs> soured, citric, and lactic acid. But here are the ingredients in a popular brand of margarine. Do we have enough time in the rest of the program to cover that Well, list? it's weird. Water, okay. soybean oil, palm oil, palm kernel oil, salt. That's okay so far. Emulsifiers like mono and diglycerides, soy lecithin, propylol glycol glycol monostrate preservatives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and then some natural and unnatural coloring. So mm. I don't know. The butter's been made the bad guy, but to me, a manufactured product where you get it from, you get a food that you eat from a factory and contains things you can't even pronounce, that's not a food. And yeah. so butter is our, but to me, butter's not the bad guy. Butter is our friend. In fact, we're making our own butter here at home. Yeah, now. and that's that's been fascinating for me to watch uh, watch Kathy figure out how to make butter because, uh, you know, you think about butter, butter production in the home and it's a churn and it's this, this big laborious process of, uh, the old pioneer woman in the long dress, uh, <laughs> churning the butter away. That's right. You know? But that's not how you do it. You don't you don't sit there with a long dress and a churn. I have some long dresses, okay. but I don't have a churn, and right. we don't have space. You don't space. need a churn. We don't have space for a churn, and also we're not doing gallons of cream at a time. Oh, so they would do like gallons of cream at a time? Yes, they would make okay. you know their weeks or months supply of butter and then keep it in a, cold, in a cool storage. Um, we make about a pound at a time with a quarter cream. So basically, a local dairy that sells cream in glass bottles, to us that makes a difference because it's earth-friendly. They're gonna reuse that bottle because we can return mm. it. Um, you get yourself a glass jar. I've got a whole video on how to make butter, shaking it in a jar. Right. We and shake you, it in a jar and it becomes butter. Yeah, and you, you, make, you, you shake it and make it to the uh, tune of uh, 
shake your booty. Yeah, sometimes. Which I think is pretty funny, actually. <laughs> shake your butter. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think there would be a lot of good theme songs for butter making. <laughs> but it's fun. And, you know, I, I don't subscribe to a gym. That's my arm workout. It takes, takes mm. maybe, I don't know, hard shaking of that cream mm. in that jar. Maybe You're, eight minutes. You total. want strong. You want strong upper body guns. You go do some butter, man. That'll that'll do it. It also feels good for the core because yeah. I have to stand there. Very so and again, it's you know I, I guess I do not understand the obsession with uh, a preference for food that comes from a factory, or a laboratory, or that has ingredients in it that you can't pronounce, let alone spell. I, I mean, it just seems like we 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 are we are part of nature. We're natural beings. We are connected to to the rest of life and that the, the closer that connection is whether you're eating the plant directly from the ground uh you know or, or or picking it and then and then cooking it and then eating it or whether you're eating the animal or the animal product that's there mm -hmm. you know that that to me and I, and I know i know my vegan friends will not like that part of it but i guess maybe we could agree on the importance of natural versus synthetic in I this case so. butter versus margarine i'd hope so and golly it tastes good I don't know. Well, the other cool thing about making butter at home is that not only from a quart of cream <clears throat> do you get a oh, yeah. pound of butter, that's four sticks, you get a pint of buttermilk. Mm -hmm. And so for the same price as a nice a nice brand of butter or a nice, at the store, a pound of that, you get the butter and then you also get buttermilk, which yeah. is great in cornbreads. So, so, so you're saving money over the cost of buying butter and buttermilk independently. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's cheaper. Uh, you're doing more to support local dairies. Exactly. Instead of, I mean, we, you you can, I guess in central Iowa, you can buy butter. Maybe, I'm not sure you can buy butter directly some from of the a dairy. Some of the dairies do have yeah. butter for some. But, but yeah, but, it's, but it's, uh, it's cheaper to make your own. You get a little bit of a workout, and you get that buttermilk, which uh, I love to use in pancakes or... Um, and I love for you to use it in pancakes. I know you do. Make yeah, good pancakes. <laughs> and that, uh, that, that, and that, that sustains another one of our habits, maple syrup. So. <laughs> well, if people want to see the video about making <laughs> butter, um, it's just, just kind of fun. It's on the Birds and Bees Urban Farm YouTube channel. Yeah. And you do want to see it because Dancy and Dancy, uh, I combine the words Kathy and dance become <laughs> Dancy. Kathy knocks out some pretty impressive dance moves there while she's making the butter. So Just having fun. Yeah, just having right. fun. Hey, thanks for joining us, Kathy. Bad. Uh, thanks to the other folks who joined us on today's program, uh, Merle Domina. And uh, Mark Clipsham, thanks to our business partners at Gateway Marketing Cafe, uh, Architecture by Synthesis, uh, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Bold, Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to Brother Trucker for providing our bumper music, as they have since we started the show 12 years ago. Thanks to our production squad of Sherry Herdina and Kathy Burns. Please subscribe to the Fallon Forum on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or your preferred podcast platform and follow the Fallon Forum Facebook Fallon Forum on Facebook. There we go. And you can also sign up for my weekly blog on the Fallon Forum website. Again, thanks for tuning in today, folks. Appreciate your support of the Alternative to Shock Jock Radio. This is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum.